So welcome back, Greg. Welcome back. Yeah, our first episode that we're recording in 2024. I'm afraid to say Happy New Year. Because by the time this comes out, I might I might need to say Happy Valentine's Day. So I will uh, I will leave it at good to see you. I will refrain from replying. <laughs> uh, things haven't changed in 2024. Um, we are going to be speaking with Richie Henman, who has penned yes. this book, High Adventure, Tales of Canadian Rock and Roll Survival. Um, he is best known as the found as a founding member uh and the drummer for our canadian classic rock band april wine and uh just a fantastic book he's played in many bands april wine wasn't his last it wasn't his first it was like in the middle mm -hmm. and uh, we'll, we'll get to that conversation it's called the four-year tour his time in uh, in april wine but uh let's uh i want to tell everyone else who else is coming up on the program in q1 uh we have stephen page yes of the trans canada highwaymen and formerly founding member of the bare naked ladies uh we have mike bruce who is now one of the owners of grant avenue studios in hamilton that's a very, uh, very popular, very historic studio. A lot of stories. I'm yeah. sure we're going to talk about. We have uh, Meredith Moon, a local artist and daughter of the late Gordon Lightfoot. We have, who else do we have coming on, Greg? We have uh, Dylan Gray. Powerful voice indie artist in Toronto. Uh, she's coming on. And uh, we'll have a lot more guests, but uh, I have seen I have seen your emails and there are a lot more surprises to come before we yes, finish the year. Absolutely. And looking forward to it. Yeah. It's gonna be another another great year of a welcome to the music. And for those of you who've been listening, thank you for listening. Uh, tell your friends to, uh, to subscribe anywhere they listen to podcasts. If they listen uh, on their Apple device and listen to Apple Podcasts, they can subscribe there. Uh, they can subscribe to uh, Greg's favorite music app, Spotify. Uh, we're <laughs> there as well. Um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find. If you are a YouTube person, if you like watching your podcast, you can find us. Why they would want to watch us i don't know but go ahead well they can see the change of hairstyles they can see us getting older i don't know they can see your back you growing hair me growing you growing hair, hair? yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know the soul patch your background has changed that that's uh you got it's, it's busier it's busier yeah well i got this oh wrong way i got this new setup here for the turntable and the stereo yeah um and so yeah it has so you're right it has changed i didn't think it had but yeah you're right yeah two turntables and a microphone or something i don't know 
one turntable and a microphone. Okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get on with our conversation with Richie Henman. Hi there. I'm Richie Henman. Uh, used to play drums in a bunch of bands a long time ago. And uh, the reason I'm honored to be on this show is because I have a book out called High Adventure. Uh, Tales of Canadian Rock and Roll Survival. I'm going to read you just a short bit from it later on. And uh, I just want to say welcome to my music room and welcome to the show, which is called Welcome to the Music. Welcome, welcome, welcome. welcome. Uh, Richie, it's, a, it's an honor. It's an absolute honor to have you on the show with us. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Absolutely. This is this is a lot of fun. Um, first off, congrats on all your success. Most recently, Canadian Music Hall of Fame, Juno Hall of Fame. And uh, Greg and I were there for the Canada's Walk of Fame event uh, at Massey Hall. Uh, was it last fall, I think it was? September, yeah. yeah, September. I can't remember the day. It was uh, what an amazing event. I told, I left with a massive smile on my face, just hearing all of the classic rock bands that I used to listen to. Uh, you know, back when I'm listening to Q107, and uh, it, it was just fantastic. So, again, first off, congrats on on everything, Richie. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. I also left with a, a, a big smile on my face. And I'm going to be honest, it took over a week to wipe it away. Yeah, I had a no great doubt. I had a great night and I had a great weekend in Toronto. I hadn't been there in years. And it was great to see the guys again, uh, Miles and Brian and Jerry. Uh, Brian, I see a lot because he doesn't live far away. And we've been best buddies for over 50 years. But the other guys, I don't get to see much. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen. Speaking speaking of Miles, uh, as as we were setting this up, um, he passed away. Uh, Miles Goodwin, uh, lead singer for for April Wine for many many years. Um, I wanted to ask you this right up front. You know, you you and your brother were um, you know starting bands all over the place back in the East Coast. Um, what was it originally that attracted uh, your brother David and you to to Miles? You know, of all the local bands we saw in those days, uh, and you didn't get to see them very often because most of the time you're playing the same night. But you'd finally, sooner or later, you'd get a chance to see those bands. And also, we knew Miles separately anyway. But as far as the on-stage Miles, um, he had it all. He had the voice. He had the guitar talent. Uh, he had a great look on stage. Uh, him and Jimmy both. Uh, it's funny, I was thinking about that earlier, that they had a certain posture on stage. That's It's important in, in show business, and it's particularly important in rock and roll to, to have a certain look. So they had that right from the first band they were in. But even before that, you know, we used to play together when we were kids, years before any of us even thought of taking up guitar lessons or getting involved in music yeah. and miles was the uh, miles was instantly cool because he had a coonskin hat this is this is the late 50s i'm talking about 1958 59 playing in the woods behind my grandmother's house 
when we all went to visit, Miles lived next door. So when Jimmy went to visit with his family or my brother and I went to visit with my family, who do you play with? You play with the kid next door because he's about your age and he's got a coonskin hat. He was he was instantly cool. Yeah. So, yeah, we, you know, but we couldn't when we we all started our first bands at the same time. But we couldn't start a band together because we lived too far apart and nobody had a license or a car or anything like that. So it took until 1969 for us to have an opportunity to try it with Miles and Jimmy. And it was worth the wait. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite Miles memory, Richie? A stage memory of Miles? Whether it's on stage or even whether it's in the studio or whether it's just hanging out after a show. Actually, more more the offstage um, and away from the music stuff. When we first yeah. moved here to Montreal, we lived in a we we got a little ski shack up in Saint Sauveur, up in the Laurentians, because in the off season you can get them really cheap. And we'd get up early in the morning, me, me and Miles and Jimmy too, and go fishing up in the, just north of Saint Sauveur in the brooks and and get brook trout, bring it home and cook it up for breakfast. And we'd do stuff like that. Miles and I tried cliff cliff uh, climbing one day at, at the north uh, north entrance to St. Sever. There's a beautiful uh, escarpment there. We got halfway up, chickened out like a couple of girls, and had a couple <laughs> of smokes to uh, to calm ourselves and then crawled back down with our tails. We Stuff like that. That's the stuff I remember. And yeah. his insane and his crazy sense of humor. He had a, a, him and Jimmy Clinch, I have to say both, had the most original sense of humor they could if if they hadn't been musicians they might have been good writers for a sitcom or a show like saturday night live but very original uh, outside the box humor those guys nice Look, that's that's the stuff i remember yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I no 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 yeah i i actually i spent some time at Severn and and uh lovely area lovely area for sure um one of the one of the questions that i wanted to talk about was just you know playing with family like not a lot of bands i mean some bands some famous bands have family members you know you played with family with brother and you know what what did that mean to you and how did that sort of evolve you know that's funny i people ask that frequently and they'll ask um did we ever disagree musically and uh no we didn't the uh, music was the one thing that david and i uh always agreed on we always had similar tastes in music we always wanted to play the same music and when we finally did go separate ways it was oh 19 uh, it was almost 1980 by the after april wine and after all the young dudes david wanted to get into a more of a uh, stripped down punk kind of a thing but i kept i i wanted to go with more i wanted to go more towards keyboards and uh, a little more towards what they call, I suppose, progressive music at the time. So when we finally disagreed musically, we finally went our separate ways musically. And, but never with any, uh, it was never any animosity or anything like that. Uh, that was, we saved that for the normal brother things, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no. um, it, was, it was interesting reading the book and, you know, it's, it's, you get halfway through uh, and, and you finish off the chapter and, and the part about the four-year tour with April Wine, and I'm going, what? He's he's in more bands? He's doing more music? Like, my, my question I wanted to ask you, because as I was reading it, it was like, you know, there was never any intention of 
of starting one band and trying to last for 20, 30 years. It was, we're starting a band because we want to make you know music and we want to learn and we want to progress. And once that journey has reached a conclusion, it was no big deal. We're going to go and do, do something else. We'll start up another band. We'll, we'll find different partners to write with and different people to play with. Um, and it was interesting. It wasn't, you know, leaving April Wine was, you, you weren't thinking about leaving money on the table. You were thinking about the next musical adventure. Um, I, I'm wondering if you can maybe talk to us about where that comes from. Uh, I think David and I were always like that. We rarely kept a band together up until April Wine. The longest we ever kept a band together was two years. And it was partly because we moved a few times during the 60s from Halifax to St. John's, Newfoundland, then to St. John, New Brunswick. That had something to do with it. But even outside of that, we tended to, we'd start a band. And as soon as we attained a certain level of success, we kind of say, okay, well, we did that. What do you want to do now? You know, and move on. I, I don't know if it was a short attention span, but April Wine we stuck with for four years because uh, it was it was going well, and uh, it actually achieved everything we set out to do by about mid 1972, and uh, we stuck with it for another uh, year after that because we were just having a great time with it, and uh, there was no reason to you know to. to to say, oh, well, gosh, we, di- we did that. What are we going to do next? We, we got caught up in it ourselves and stuck it out for, you know, another year and then, and then started to think, well, okay, we did that. Now, what do you, you want to do now? And we were actually, we never actually had a plan. When we left something, we'd just leave it. And then it was like, okay, let's, let's call some guys and do some jamming and play with some, you know, try out some different guys and see what rings our bell. And that's, that's what we. That's just the way David and I work. It's it's safe to say we were never motivated by capitalist, uh, you know, instincts. We it was all. It had to be about the art. It had to be about the music. Are you happy playing that music? And if if you are, you keep doing it till it gets the least the least bit routine and say, okay, well, we did that. See you. <laughs> Wow. It's, it's, it's funny because in the prologue, you talk about, um, you know, the alcohol, the drugs, the ego and the greed and that you weren't like that wasn't none of the attractive for you. Um, I, I wanted to dive into that and ta- ask you, like, like, why write this book? Why? Like, again, love it. Great stories. What what drove you to want to write this? Actually, the the main reason for writing the book was um I wanted to write it all down while I still remembered it all. I, I have a bit of a reputation for my memory. And um, I decided around the age of 60 something, maybe I should start, maybe I should just start writing all this down and see where it leads. And at least I'll have it all committed to, uh, you know, a computer memory or something like that. My father died about six years ago of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was the memory that went. Um, and so I sort of determined, well, I've got his genes. Uh, so that was that was part of it too, you know, at, uh, after having started writing it, uh, after my father passed away, I got really serious about it. And then I started thinking, gosh, is this, 
maybe this is a book. Maybe the public would like to read this. My wife was very, Claire was very encouraging about that. She said, you know, people might like to read about that. Yeah. And um, I'm fortunate to be very good friends with, with uh, Toronto writer Martin Mel Hewish. So I contacted him and he agreed to read the manuscript. And he was the one, the first one that got back to me and said, yeah, this is, this, this can be a book and people will be interested in it and will probably want to buy it and read it because they know the bands and they know other bands and, and so many people have shared the kind of experiences that I've been through in that book, not just musicians, but uh, uh, civilian, <laughs> civilians yeah. as, as well. So Marty encouraged me, my brother encouraged me, and I had got a few other people to, uh, to take a look at the manuscript. And uh, then I submitted it to a publisher and uh, lo and behold, uh, he agreed. With everybody else, he said, "Yeah, people will want to read this." Let's, uh, as 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 he Leslie Choice is my publisher, Pottersfield Press, and and, and as he said it, as he said, let let's ha sell a few books and have some fun. And uh, 2023 was nothing but that. It was it was just awesome. Nice. Um, you 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 mentioned Claire, your wife, and. Um, it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me, without her, there there's no musical career. Um, there there's she she seems to be the glue that made everything work for you. Um, you know, setting whether it's you know setting up deals or concerts and shows and partnerships. It's like without Claire, is is there? Is there anything after April Wine? Is there an April Wine? Does what what happens with Richie? Does he give up music and start racing cars? <laughs> Tell I, I don't know if, if if you feel the same way, but um, is she the most important person in your not just in your life but in your musical career? Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say that uh, Karim. Yeah, Be and 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 I have a double advantage. Um, I've been very lucky in my life. Uh, I have a double advantage this way because, yes, she's my wife. We've been married for uh, 46 years now. 40, oh, Congratulations. Do the math, Rich. Four, 48, sorry, 48 <laughs> this right. year. Get it right. And, um, but, you see, she worked for Donald K. Donald. Uh, she was actually the first girl I met when we moved to Montreal, and we went down to knock on the door. She had just started working there. So we became friends at first. We were best friends for about uh, almost three years before we started dating and then eventually got married. She continued to work for April Wine years after I left. She, yeah. she finally retired. She finally retired from DKD in 95, which would probably be just about the time that April Wine was, let's say, you know, had plateaued. And this is, you know, this uh, everything's uh, everything's all the wheels are turning by themselves now and she retired and i had uh, more or less retired from music by then i that i was designing and uh, working at uh, at Dinesco. so yeah i've been doubly lucky and she's so she's been my support both me uh, as part of the company when we were all a, a huge team from 70 until uh, until uh, 73 to, uh, when i left the band and she continued afterwards and then domestically still you know, she has my back, yeah. and and likewise, vice versa. So yeah, it's been a good. Uh, we were we're a good team. Absolutely, for sure. I can't wait to read her book. <laughs> <laughs> she's 
she could probably uh, she could probably write a, a good book about her adventures because she got to work with. Uh, if you read my book, you'll see little snippets here and there where Claire got to work with uh, everybody from the Stones to Bing Crosby and Bob Hope and uh, yep. uh, the Harlem Globetrotters, David Copperfield, the musician. She has a much broader experience in entertainment than uh, than I've had or or ever will. So yeah, she could she could probably write a pretty cool book about uh, her experiences too. All right. Absolutely. Um, one one of the, the, I'll say, towns, cities that comes up a number of times. My family's from the Manitoulin and the Laplace Mountains, just north from the other side of the North Channel. Um, Sudbury comes up a lot or a number of times in the book. Um, can you share your memories about Sudbury and why it's why it seemed to be really special? That's, that's one of those... Um, that's one of those those things that's kind of hard to uh, label. For whatever reason, whatever band I was in, whether it was April Wine, Dudes, Cruiser, every time I played in in Sudbury with one of these bands, always had a great gig, maximum turnout, hospitality, and uh, I don't know, it just happened, it's it just a coincidence that every time I played Sudbury, it was just amazing. And of course, the fans are, I think any... Canadian touring band from the Stampeders on through to Rush uh, and April Wine will tell you Sudbury is a great place to play. The people there are excellent, first-rate audiences in Sudbury. I, maybe that's the answer. I don't know. I just, again, Richie's blind luck. Every time I played Sudbury, it was just awesome. And, uh, and so you remember that, you know? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, one of the one of the segments that we like to do is called Lost Venues, and normally we ask our guest for Lost Venue, but I'm going to ask you if you can share some thoughts about a venue that's no longer with us anymore that you played. You played at the Forum at Ontario Place in the Round, which is very special to a lot of people. Can you can you talk about you know your memory of that time, Blaine? Of uh, Ontario Place. Yeah, Ontario plays in the forum. So that, that specific facility, you know, that was the only, as far as I remember, that was the only facility that I ever played in my life that was like that, where, yeah, as you say, theater in the round. Uh, not completely. The band is not right in the center of the circle. You're, you're off to one side, but there is still, like, oh, I think it was probably still 10 or 20 rows of bleachers, you know, up behind my drum kit. And there'd be people up there, but really most of them were around you, let's say, like this. The only problem with that place is to get to the stage from the dressing room. The dressing room is on the other side. And you have to go through the crowd. There's no route outdoors to get to sneak up onto the stage and suddenly appear. Everybody can see you coming <laughs> and trying to crawl your way through the crowd. And then when you, as I wrote in my book, when you leave the stage... And if you're a successful recording act like we were at that time in, in 72, 73, and the crowd that comes to see you is of the screaming teeny bopper persuasion, when it's time to leave the stage uh, at the end of your show, but before your encore, where do you go? You can't just walk around and stand behind your amplifiers where everybody can see you. Like you're, we talked about this before we went on stage that night. You know, you can't just go and stand there like you're expecting an encore. You know, come on, bring it, bring it. Bring it. So you have to make a show of 
that's the end of the show. Thank you. Good night. We love you. And go back to the dressing room and then let the crowd bring you back out. So going back to the dressing room the first time was difficult, getting through the crowd and then getting back out again. And by the time I got to my drums, as it said in the book, my, all my sticks had been stolen as well as my uh, bass drum pedal. Can you imagine oh my God. somebody actually <laughs> reached down and unscrewed my bass drum, kick drum pedal and took it. Fortunately, I had a spare in a case beside me, beside my hi-hat. So when we got back on the stage, one of the roadies had to go back to the dressing room for more sticks while I got the spare pedal out and attached it to the kick drum. And Miles and David and Jimmy spoke to the crowd, I suppose, and then we, we were able to do our, our encore. And then after that, getting back to the dressing room, that was the, that was the part where you said, you know, this looked great when it happened to the Beatles. All these screaming fans, you know, tearing at you. And and the, the thing is, though, they want something to bring home. So I wore glasses. The glasses went right away, and I had to fight a little to get them back. Uh, they, they literally pull your hair out, and it's, it's painful. And try and take pieces of your clothing, you know, try and tear. They're actually trying to tear your shirt off. Somebody, I had a watch on, which you shouldn't do. You shouldn't wear a watch on stage. You're not supposed to know what time it is. Mistake on my part. Somebody tried to take that, you know. And once we got backstage, we, we could laugh about it. But we could see that there was a potential for danger in there. And maybe in the future, if, if we're going to do something like this again, we have a little extra security. Yeah. To, uh, or, or perhaps someplace we can hide behind the gear, you know, sure. and, and, and guard our drumsticks and kick drum pedals. Life, life is rough for a rock star, eh? Oh, it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it can be. I, I'm not, I hate to keep, I'm going to sound like a broken record saying I'm lucky, but I really had the time of my life, uh, throughout my career. Very, very few heartaches. Um, there's a couple they are in the book, but, uh, yeah, I've been lucky. For sure. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thanks for that sharing that story. Our our guest uh, has been and is Richie Henman, uh, founding member and drummer with uh, the iconic classic rock Canadian band April Wine. Uh, book is called High Adventure: Tales of Canadian Rock and Roll Survivor. Go pick it up at your favorite bookstore or go online uh, to Amazon and and order it. A, a fantastic read. Anyone who's interested in in music. In, uh, in this time of history, in Canadian uh, rock history, uh, just a fantastic uh, book uh, to get. Um, Richie, you said it off at the top when when you introduced yourself uh, that you were going to do a, a, a reading uh, from a passage in the book. Um, I invite you now if you, if you want to do that. I'm I'm good to go. The um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a, a short two paragraph bit from the final chapter. The final chapter is called Bonus Tracks. And these are little anecdotes that I could have fit into the narrative, except that they wouldn't be speed bumps, but they they would be a quick left turn, let's say. Yeah. So I chose to collect a bunch of them, just save them for the end of the book and write them down. They're, they go from one to uh, six paragraphs, I think. And they're adv adventures on the road. I think a lot of other musicians out there will be, uh, we'll see parallels. The one I'm going to read is called Don't Push the Red Button. This takes place during the uh, two years that I was in the band, All the Young Dudes. 
and uh, we were on tour with the Bee Gees. We're opening for the Bee Gees. So oh, yeah. don't push the red button. As chronicled in the chapter on dudes, we rented a customized Greyhound Cena Cruiser bus for our tour with the Bee Gees. As one would expect, there was a bathroom on the bus, but we rarely used it out of consideration for the time and trouble of the disposal process. There was a large red, red button in this facility, and the first thing we had been told was not to push that button as it would immediately dump everything foul onto the road beneath us. The inevitable happened following our performance in Ottawa. Shortly before we left the venue, someone had invited a few curious fans to take a quick look inside the bus. As we came out the back door of the Ottawa Civic Center in a driving rain, the exterior lighting revealed a wide stream of lurid green liquid flowing from under the bus down the slope of the parking lot towards the garage doors of the building. I believe that was the fastest exit from an arena parking lot on the entire tour. <laughs> High Adventures, available at Amazon, Chapters, Barnes & Noble. Um, Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. Go, go, on, go online and, and order it. Um, Richie, I want to, want to ask you this. You, you've played in so many bands. Um, you uh, have been instrumental in uh, creating music and playing on songs that are the soundtrack uh, to many people, especially of Greg and my generation. Um, I want to ask you this, though. What, what, what does Richie Henman listen to today? What kind of music are you into? Are you into music that you've, you know, you played in the past or? If I'm going to sit down and pick something off the CD shelf uh, in the other room, it's more than likely classical. Uh, Greek, Schumann, Schubert, uh, the Russian composers, crazy about the Russian, Tchaikovsky and Rimsky-Korsakov. Uh, if I'm in the mood for something other than classical, it's going to be uh, Sarah Sling or Joel Plaskett um, and a couple of old albums. You know, we all have our classic rock from the 60s, 70s, whatever, that we just still can't let go of. Uh, for me, the first two Procol Harum albums, right at the top of that list. Um, of course, a couple of classic Beatle albums. Uh, Sergeant, if I'm out on the patio in the summer with my wife, we're just we're just as likely to put on Sergeant Pepper and Abbey Road and uh, uh, maybe the White Album, you know, or uh, one of the classic albums by Pink Floyd. We just never get tired of that, or Dire Straits. Just mm -hmm. never get tired oh. of that stuff. But if I'm choosing, it's going to be classical or Sarah Sleen or Joel Plaskett. That's when, when you're when you're in one of your classic cars. I don't know if you still have. Any, any classic cars, if you're still a car guy, is, is, what, what kind of music do you listen to to put the top down and race through uh, the streets of Montreal? Well, first of all, right now, all I've got is a, a Chevy Impala sedan. Um, I'm, uh, I like to think I'm shopping for my dream car, which is a, a Mercedes convertible, a, a certain model of Mercedes convertible. And uh, I may get one, who knows? next next week next year because you know they come up for sale um but when i'm driving no i to be honest uh, my favorite station is the the local station from uh, uh Ganawake, the, the res across just across the river from us here uh k103 and uh and i've had the good fortune last year since the book came out 
to get out there and meet the guys that I've been listening to on this station. And we, you know, we bonded right away. As a matter of fact, we're, we're talking about going, going out to do lunch again, uh, maybe next week, just, just to talk, sit and talk about music. And they play everything on that station. You, you can, one minute it might be Lou Rawls and the next, next minute it might be Snoop. And the next minute it might be a classic Johnny Cash song. I mean, it's, pretty eclectic and that's what i like i don't want to i don't want to have a radio station on where it's all at similar you know um yeah thank god for classic rock stations if it wasn't for classic rock stations i probably wouldn't have an opportunity to uh, to do what we're doing here and to to have gotten a book published they're the ones that perpetuated the music for us absolutely richie thank you so much for your time yes, this has been, been a pleasure. amazing this has been a lot of fun uh, our guest has been uh, founding member of April Wine, uh, founding drummer of April Wine, Richie Henman. His book, Go and Get It, is High Adventure, Tales of Canadian Rock and Roll Survival. Uh, if you want to get more information on Richie, go to his website, richiehenman.com. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Happy New Year. Thank you.